Okay, so today is August 29th. It is uh, Wednesday night, 2012, and our message is the inheritance tonight. The inheritance. So turn with me to Exodus 34. Tell me when you're there. So Tara prophesied tonight that Jacob is mine, says the Lord. Don't worry when you go through the fire. Don't worry when the waters rise. Jacob is, is mine, she said. That really fits well with this message. In Exodus 34, starting in the first verse. Actually, do you have a title above the 34th chapter? Somebody read out what your title is. <laughs> what happened to the old ones? Come on. No sooner was the law given... Then the law was broken. Literally. <laughs> Literally. I mean, it's broken by the recipients and it was broken by the, the giver, if you want to call Moses the lawgiver, although it came from God. It was broken. I mean, broken into pieces, broken. This is the state in which God is about to speak the message that he says here. The Lord says to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and the herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up on Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud, in the cloud, and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. I don't want to get too far off subject, but I am going to chase a rabbit here for a second. The Lord descended upon him in a cloud, just like the message we taught not long ago about head in the clouds. And then he proclaimed something to him. Now Moses already knew God's name, didn't he? The word here in the scripture is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, and he had already proclaimed that before. Do you think Moses forgot it? What's he really doing? Somehow or another, in the density of this cloud that is representing God, Moses is seeing, learning, absorbing more of who God is. Somehow or another being surrounded by it on a mountain, kind of like the disciples on the transfiguration. It says, the Lord proclaimed his name. This is his Hashem. This means... Uh, his authority, his whole reputation, everything to do with him. Friends, this is why we get together. When you hear that Jacob has got a mighty FCA meeting going, or that another person at his job is so excited about Jesus and wants to go in the classrooms and pray with him and all, it ought to encourage you. It ought to show you something just a little more about God's name. It's like being surrounded by the cloud of his presence that is in your brothers and is working in your brothers. Well, Moses is alone on the mountain of God because it's just God that he's, he's absorbing his presence. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. Now, wouldn't it sound kind of strange if Matt passed in front of me and said, Matthew, Matthew, right? Matt is passing in front of Eric saying, Matthew, Matthew. <laughs> This is not about speaking his name, friends. Something about it is instructing Moses. Something about it is bringing Moses a revelation. It's making him familiar with the function of God, the reputation of God. 
And listen to what it says. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. Hey, that is a fantastic revelation to have if you just received ten very specific commandments and came down and were guilty of breaking them. Literally, breaking them. I mean, he, he just had the broken pieces. He just ground up a golden calf. He just made them drink it. Levites just drew their swords and killed 3,000 of their brothers. This is not a good day. And what is the first revelation he has about God? He's compassionate, slow to anger. How many of you were told the Old Testament is a, a vengeful, wrathful God? But the revelation that he gets while standing in God's presence is that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's a good message. It's not the only message, but it's a good message to know that it is pretty hard to upset God on a long-term basis. To know that He wants to show you compassion. To know that He is full of grace, unmerited favor for people that He, he loves, and that He can do this for thousands at a time. That is a fantastic message. The other part of the message, the other part of the revelation of who God is, comes right here. In forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. The beautiful thing about our God is that he can justify a man. He can make a man totally different, remake his whole character. But if a man's character will not be remade, he will not leave him unpunished. This is part of what Moses is seeing on a mountain as God reveals his name to him. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Everything that you read on this verse and also Exodus 20 verse 5, which says almost exactly the same thing, says that these are incredibly hard to translate. We're not going to translate it differently here, but... Some of you will have a translation that says something about clearing sin. What it amounts to is it seems to say that God will allow a man's wickedness to affect his entire family. Uh, a great-grandfather, a grandfather, a father, and a child. Four generations. And at that point, we don't go further where someone would... How many of you ever met your great-great-grandfather? No one in the room. Isn't that amazing? But there are people in the room that knew their great-grandfather. He would show compassion to people. He would be gracious to people. But if a man wanted to ruin his whole family, that whole family might feel the effects of sin down to the third and fourth generation. Then the man's influence would be cut off. Did you hear it over and over and over in Kings and Chronicles? Jeroboam, son of Nebat, they did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam. His sin traveled with him through generations. And unfortunately, each son was more wicked than the next, so it kept traveling through the generations. And it ruins families, doesn't it? Now, don't, don't raise a hand, but are you familiar with families that are so dominated by sin that they barely resemble families anymore? Oh my goodness. It hurts, doesn't it? You ever see uh, somebody who works hard, builds a business, but... Maybe there's nobody fit in their family. Not, not nobody who, uh, in some cases, we're called to do other things. But nobody fit, capable to take over that business. 
It's like somebody stored up an inheritance and there was no one to take it, huh? Watch this. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate. I'm sorry, compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Take us as your what? Inheritance. That God would get something. He said, look, they're not much. They're stiff-necked. They're rebellious. But I've just seen who you are. And you are gracious. You are compassionate. You are slow to become angry. Would you take us? Would you go with us? And would you treat us like something that you would inherit one day when your work with us is done? Come on, this shows such insight this man of God had. He knew that they weren't much now. But that if God would simply go with them when his work in them was done, there would be something worth inheriting. And who inherits it? God. God inherits this. Have you read this before and not noticed that God has an inheritance? That's an interesting thing. How many of you are waiting to inherit something? My father had a... Wow. <laughs> My father had a super Blackhawk, a, a, a Ruger 44 Magnum. And when I was little, one of the first things he did with me, I mean, I couldn't wait till I was old enough. He took me out to shoot it. Every once in a while, he and I even laid in life. He, he, he had a special nickname for his gun, actually. <laughs> Later in life, he'd say, hey, you want to go shoot the hog? And uh, we didn't shoot animals. The hog was the gun. And he, he kept it for me. Dad bought and sold lots of guns. He kept it for me. Now, I was very, very sad when my father died. There's no question about that. It was mixed with joy and all of those things. And you were here. You saw it. But it gave me his gun. And I had waited all of these years for that. And the gun no longer represented just a gun. It had something to do with our relationship. Right? Now, praise God, I have those memories. And whoever stole my truck last uh, has that gun. So I, I don't have it anymore. But I remember yearning for it. God yearns for something. And it's not a product like a gun. It's a symbol of his relationship with you. He says you are his inheritance. Come on, you ever seen somebody restore a car? We, we, we were at Natalie's grandfather's the other day and grandmother's. And everywhere were old junk parts and all kind of things. But the man could make something beautiful from them. Was there greater glory or less glory if he took something from a junkyard and made it shiver? <clears throat> See, the worst shape it was in, if he did something with it, everybody admired his work. They became like an inheritance. His children, I'm sure, talked about what would happen with his cars. I know I heard one of his daughters one day say, Dad, I want that one. You know, I, I heard that. When somebody has something special, waiting for them, a symbol of work and relationship. 
It is an inheritance. Let's move on from that. You have it, yes? Yes. Go to Deuteronomy 4. You're going to have to be patient. This is somewhat of a linear message tonight. These pieces will come together. In Deuteronomy 4, here comes the 20th verse. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of His inheritance as you now are. Now, when He first, the first scripture that I read to you said that even though they were stiff-necked and rebellious, they would become an inheritance. Where did He find them? In slavery, in a smelting pot, in uh, an iron furnace. And he said he brought them to be his inheritance. God would take a people who were rebellious, who were sinful. He would take a people who were slaves. And he would say, I will treasure them as something that I will obtain when my work is done. I think that's a good thing. It certainly gives me encouragement that he was not looking for the healthy. He was not looking for the uh, perfect one to restore. They don't need restoration. He was looking for something that was broken when he found it. How were you when he found you? Didi, what was your life like when he found you? Cody, what was your life like when he found you? Does he get more or less glory for the life they now have? Come on, you've all seen that bumper sticker that says, be patient with me, God's not through yet. Right? Well, we can all focus on the areas that are not through yet, but how about what he has done? DJ and I have served God for a long time together. I mean, it's, it's been decades now. We're not who we used to be. Can we not give God some glory for what He's already done? Amen. How many of you came from noble families, royal lines? I mean, they handed you a pedigree on a silver platter. But have you done something with your life? Do your children respect you? At work, do they think you do a good job? Do you think that's because of you? This is God working on His inheritance. It's Him treasuring the day when His work is done and He gets all of you. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, the 10th chapter, somebody read out that first verse. Read it loud. Nobody's going to read it. put the flack of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? <clears throat> when you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. You got it, Dustin. The, the, the Lord had Samuel take a flask of oil and anoint Saul's head and says, Has not the Lord anointed you over his inheritance? The kings in Israel were considered stewards of God. They were considered more like a governor. They worked for God, and they were supposed to take care of his inheritance. Saul was a part of the inheritance, right? Was God's work ever completed in Saul? The kingdom was torn out of his life. He cared more about what men thought than what God thought. He was ruled by fear and not by faith. He backed up from the things that God told him to do. Saul was the head of the inheritance. But God will not inherit what He intended to inherit in Saul. 
The scripture actually says he was changed into a different person in 1 Samuel 13. Unfortunately, he didn't stay that new person God changed him into. He regressed. Some people would call that backsliding. He didn't seem to finish his life well. Suicide is not really uh, what I would think of as the way I would want to go out. God was so serious that he said, I will take a sinful, rebellious people. I'll take a people as slave because when I work with them, when I go with them and work in them, and it's done, they will be fit to be my inheritance. He goes on to say, I'll put kings over them, but they will just be kings over what is my inheritance. Kind of like the executor of an estate. Turn with me to Psalm 94. <coughs> Tell me when you're there. 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 In Psalm 94, uh, looking at verse 1. O Lord, the God who avenges. O God who avenges, shine forth. That's an interesting prayer, isn't it? O God who avenges, shine forth. <laughs> yeah, somebody's calling. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long will the wicked, O Lord, I'm sorry, how long will the wicked, O Lord, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, O Lord. They oppress your... They slay the widow and the alien and they murder the fatherless. They say the Lord does not see... The God of Jacob pays no heed. Take heed, you senseless ones among the people. You fools, when you become wise, when will you become wise? Does he who implanted the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines the nations not punish? Does he who teaches man lack knowledge? You can just take it off the hook or unplug it or hit it with a hammer or whatever you need to do. The Lord knows the thoughts of a man. He knows that they are futile. Blessed is the man who disciplines, the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your law. You grant him relief from the days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his... It sounds like Israel is just getting a royal... Uh, slap down. It sounds like the nations are beating them. But they begin to take solace in something. You're not going to let somebody hurt what is your inheritance forever. You teach us, Lord. You discipline us. The other nations are just tools to do that. In other words, the circumstances in their life. But we are the people that you will inherit. Go to uh, Numbers. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 32. Then we're going to pause after this. Because y'all seem tired. Are you tired of turning in your Bibles? No. In Deuteronomy 32, listen to the way this is said. Nothing in the Bible is filling. Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse 8. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance. It sounds like every nation receives an inheritance from God. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when He divided all mankind, 
he set up boundaries for the people according to the number of the sons of Israel. Before we read any further, every nation on the planet has certain boundaries, certain limits set for them. Did you ever read in the Gospels that Saul was prevented, I'm sorry, Paul was prevented from going to certain areas? He was prevented by the Holy Spirit from going to certain areas. Then in the night he sees a dream to go somewhere else. God had boundaries for each people group. He had a destiny for each nation. And every nation would receive an inheritance from God. But it was all in relation to one thing. Verse 9. For the Lord's portion is His people, Jacob His allotted inheritance. God has, for every nation, a gift to give. For every nation, an inheritance to give them. But His gift to Himself... His own inheritance was His people. And when He took them, they were stiff-necked. When He took them, they were rebellious. When He took them, they were coming out of slavery. But He would not leave them there. They would be something that could be called princes with God. Something that He could be proud of. This is the Bible story. One nation that God set His affection on. Go to Isaiah 19. I think everybody's pretty clear at this point that Israel is God's inheritance. Yeah. This one might surprise you. Then. It's a hinting at something. Every once in a while, Jewish theologians taught that we could go beyond just the plain meaning of a scripture. We could actually see that the scripture was hinting at a text behind the scripture. In Isaiah 19, picking up in verse 23. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship together. By the way, what is the predominant uh, religious grouping in Assyria today? Islam. How, how about Egypt? Islam. How about that? In this day, in Isaiah's day, they were definitely not worshippers of Yahweh God, as they're not today. The Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my... He had a gift for every nation. He had a plan for every nation, even nations that were enemies of God. Was Egypt often an oppressor to Israel? Yes. There, I can think of no time that Assyria was not an oppressor of Israel. And God destined for them something good. He destined for them to become people of God. He destined for them to become inheritant. I'm sorry, handiwork. But one thing that He never said about them was they were His inheritance. That belonged to one special group of people. But here Isaiah in 740 B.C. is hinting that God also has designs or plans for the rest of the nations. Somebody go to Psalm 2. When you get to Psalm 2, begin reading in the first verse. Break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one in Rome in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. 
And when we believed on his name, he gave us a right to become a part of God's inheritance, his people, grafted into Israel. And so now the scripture that once only applied to them is being applied to us. We were once not a people. We were once not with mercy. And now we're a royal priesthood. But there's a thing about a royal priest. Man, you can find this everywhere. This is in Numbers 18. This is in Deuteronomy 10. One thing about the priesthood in Israel. They had no inheritance. Isn't that interesting? Uh, all of the other tribes got to inherit land and pass it down. All of the other tribes could look forward to possessions that would accumulate in one generation and pass to another. But to the Levites, he said, I am your inheritance. The Levites would inherit God, and God would inherit them. God's death through his son made it possible for them to change and become his inheritance. Who has to die for us to inherit God? We do. Think about this. I'm not trying to trick you. When Jesus died, he gave us the right to become sons of God. When that happens, God gets his inheritance. When we die, anyone who would lay down their life, anyone who would lose their life, they would find it. When we die to this world and sin and everything in it, what do we gain? Him. Come on now, in our weddings, we say until death do us part, right? In the kingdom, it's death that unites us. He sent his son to die for us, and we pledge to die for him, so he inherits us, and we inherit him. Turn with me to Ephesians. This would be Ephesians, the first chapter. I was sitting with good friends the other night, and one of the questions somebody asked me came from Ephesians. And Ephesians is such a good book. I love it. If, if you ask me to speak, and I have 20, 30 seconds, you know, to decide what I'm going to speak on, it's going to come from any book in the Older Testament or two books in the New Testament. And the two are always Ephesians and the book of John. My, I'm just in love with them. I understand them better than I understand anything else. And listen to him speak in Ephesians about the inheritance issues. This is Ephesians 1 and verse 11. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his purpose. This sounds a little bit like Romans 8.28, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, what is Romans 8.28? Come on, Jacob. Come on, Jacob. All things work for the good of those who... In all things, God works to, together for the good... Those who love him are called according to his purpose. Come on, can we do 29? It used to be. Okay. Come on, for those he foreknew... He, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son or likeness of His Son, some scripture says. Man, all the Calvinists are getting happy. Presbyterians are hearing birds sing above their head. They just knew that I would eventually come around. Who was called to be His inheritance from the beginning? Israel. Israel. 
He foreknew them. He adopted them as sons. He predestined them to be conformed to the likeness of his son. They would always be his inheritance. Listen to this. For we, he said, you catch that pronoun? In him we also were chosen having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Who is we? Israel. In order that we, Israel, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ. Who is you? Us. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our... What is your inheritance, saints? You inherit God. He becomes a part, or you become a part of Him. You get united. How does the Holy Spirit guarantee this? Because He's been placed inside you to lead you to that end. It's like a seal on a letter showing its intent, who it came from, who it's intended to be delivered to. Does that demand that the letter goes there? I mean, it, it requires still a traveling. The seal is not the end of the matter. If it was the moment that you received the Holy Spirit, you would have been glorified and would no longer die. Is there anybody in here that has been glorified? We all say we're saved, right? How saved? Well, man, I am saved as saved could be, right? Is your hair falling out? You ever had a cavity? You still get blisters on your hands when you work? You ever hit your fingernail and you get hurt? Because I'm pretty sure in the millennium, that's not going to happen. I'm pretty sure that after the resurrection of the dead, that's not going to happen. So how saved are you? How complete is this process? Well, His Spirit is, is inside of me. He's changed my nature. Yeah, so... My spirit is saved, for sure. How about your mind, will, and emotions? How are you doing with that? Anybody in here, your, your mind is, uh, is now totally holy? I'd like to spend some time with you if it is. Never have a straight thought. Ne never have negative things. So my spirit may be redeemed, but I'm still struggling a little bit in my mind, aren't I? Anybody in here is glorified? Nobody answered that question. Somebody want to walk through a wall? Yeah. No. Nobody wants to walk through a wall. Nobody's glorified. I want to. Yeah, I want to too. Check this out. It's been destined. He's now foreknown us the way he foreknowed Israel. He adopted you as a son. He even has given you a cloud to follow, except it's not on the outside of you. It's now inside of you telling you about his character, telling you about his name. They didn't all make it. They were broken off because of unbelief. We have to stand up. We have to stand by faith. And who wants us to stand more than anything? Who wants to inherit us? God does. But He seems to allow people the free will. Isn't that an amazing thing? A God who loves us enough to risk the universe on us. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Why does he say until the redemption? Why didn't he say they were already redeemed? The Bible does say sometimes we're already redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Why does he say until the redemption of those who are God's possession? 
Because we have been saved in the past, we are being saved now, and we will be saved in the future. Amen. Just like Israel was delivered from Egypt, they were adopted, they began walking, and then he began delivering them from their stiff neck and sinful ways, and is still not done, but in the end, he will complete their salvation, just like he will yours at the resurrection of your body. You are his inheritance. When Bert used to go and buy an old car, he bought a 1939 Ford that was not recognizable as a vehicle. He purchased it that day, but it didn't look like it would later. He began working on it. It looked better. It was definitely his workmanship. It was not quite what it was, but it also was not quite yet finished. There was workmanship left to be done in it. This is very much like us. But we are his inheritance and he is at work. God's possession to the praise of his glory. Your redemption is his glory. Have you ever heard Moses argue with God? Am I the only one that reads those stories and finds it kind of odd that Moses is debating with God? God says, I'm going to kill him. He says, no, don't kill him. No, I'm going to kill him. No, don't kill him. If you kill them, what did he say the nations would say? God was not able to bring about his promise. He said, see, God, ultimately it's your name that's on the line because they're your inheritance. Don't throw away your inheritance. They were sinful when you bought them. They were stiff-necked when you bought them. But you bought them. You're going to have to deliver them. And he said, very well, I will. But I'm going to kill all of them that don't believe. <laughs> and there was always a remnant. But that remnant's growing. Because one of that righteous remnant said, Father, I'm your son. Will you give me from the nations as an inheritance? And he said he would, and that is you. So Israel's not over, and you haven't replaced them. Paul said, we who were the first to believe, and you also were included. So then there is a first grouping of his inheritance and a second who God included in it. Are you hearing me? Yes. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. The riches of His glorious inheritance. This is where you're called, friends. You're called to perfection. You're called to holiness. You're called to be something worthy of being united with God. Amen. His glorious inheritance in the saints and His incomparable power for us who believe. What is that power like? That power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted. I lost my place. Help me. 20. Which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Why is that power like what raised Jesus from the dead? Because to get an inheritance, somebody has to die. But He wouldn't leave them there. He would not leave them in death. Jesus died so that God could have you as an inheritance. You could be perfected. We die so that we can have God as our inheritance. Turn to Revelation 21. It'll be our last scripture tonight. That's my present to you. 
Read verse 6 and 7. Somebody who likes to read and read loud. Act like you like the Word of God. Like you want everyone to hear it. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. I will be his God and he will be my son. He said, I am the beginning of it and I am the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am taking those without cost who are simply thirsty for me. And they will inherit all this. And what is this? It is the kingdom. A kingdom that God's son died to obtain. And that the people who obtain it died to obtain him. Till death do us unite, not part. See, he died to have you. He died to have you redeemed. He died to have you redeemed wholly, not just in your spirit in some unseen sense, but in your mind, will, and emotions in an outward sense, and also in your physical man. He will raise you in a body that will never die because you are his inheritance. He will save you utterly. He died for that. But his requirement for us was that we die for him. This is why it's necessary that you stay in the race until the end. It's why it's necessary that you deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow him. It's why it's necessary that you do his will and not shrink back from it. Otherwise, he died for you but you did not die for him or in him. And the kingdom will only be made up of those who gave their all for the inheritance. Amen? Amen. I believe that you are a crown, that you're a joy. Miss Sharon thought she saw Jesus hugging you and kissing you because he asked his father for an inheritance among the nations and you are it. This is why James can tell us to take pride in our high position. He loves us. He loves us like we could not even hardly imagine. That's a good feeling, friends. Stand your feet. Come to the center. Come to the front. Please, let's not be separate. Let's just hold hands. Let's